This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Marcus, you know, it's always great whenever we have a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the show. The fact that we are going to be able to talk to this Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and hear not only stories about his time with that band, but they'll be able to talk about what he's doing now and his beautiful music he's making still to this day. Well, it's even made more exciting by the fact that he's a member of one of my favorite units, the E Street Band. I'm talking about David Sanchez and his new album, Eyes Wide Open. Let's welcome David to the podcast. Hello. 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 David, how hey, are David, you? Hey, David, welcome, man. Hi, how are you doing? How's the weather in Hawaii, man? Oh, it's another fabulous day. Let me get that. What <laughs> island are you on? I'm on Kauai. Ah, uh, that's the best Hawaii island by far. It by is. far. My five-year-old loves the big island because the volcanoes are very active there, and he loves watching the lava tubes and all of that. Yeah. So he's yeah, yeah. he loves Hawaii. Yeah, it's a special place, man. So no doubt. From where, you, where both of you are. We're, We're near in, Philadelphia. Okay. Grew up in I'm Denver. Just north, and he's just west. Yeah. Okay. In your early days with the boss, you used to come down this way and play little little oh, places man, like the main point. So. Yeah, we played there a lot. I love it too. <laughs> and great, all through. Great, it's a great music town. Yeah, it is. Uh, it really is. We played there a lot with uh, you know early days of uh, uh, E Street Band. Yeah. And, all. and I played there a lot actually years later. Uh, the place called the Tin Angel with Francis Dunnery. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. The Tin uh, Angel on Race nice. Race. Yeah. We worked together for maybe a, a year or two. Cool. Um, it's close doing house concerts and uh, Tin Angel and places like that. Nice. But yeah, Philly's great. Great place to play. Woman, won't you take your anger out on the girl next door? Well, you've played with a lot of people besides Francis and that kid from Freehold. (laughs) What is some of your favorite stuff from over the years? Before we talk about Eyes Wide Open, your latest Uh, album, I want to ask you a little bit about some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, You worked with 
people like Peter Gabriel and Sting and Clapton and Jeff Beck. What are some of your favorite things that came out of that experience touring with those guys through the decades? Oh, so many. My gosh. I mean, playing in a club in Philly is extraordinary. You know, I couldn't really say that. Honestly, I can't think of one specifically like one concert with one artist out of all the different artists that I've been, I've been able to, to work with where I just said, wow, this is it. This tops everything. Can't say that. I don't really have that. Because uh, again, I think it's, it's all extraordinary. I mean, it's amazing to play in a place on that. Uh, this is many years ago. I think it was the Amnesty International tour. And it was one that had Peter and Sting and Bruce and Yusuf and Duel. I was there. I saw that tour. That tour was, uh, we went around the world twice in two weeks, something crazy like wow. that. It was really wild as a production as well. This is for all those people on death row in this country. It's called Red Rain. But we played in all these um, stadiums. We played uh, big venues, you know? And the largest one, I think, was somewhere in South America. It was wow. huge, like wow. insanely big. You know, when you play, I mean, I played a lot of stadiums and arenas. Like, you know, you start playing clubs or like maybe 500 people, then it's a thousand seats, and then it's a couple thousand, and 10,000 is, is an arena, and then 15,000, a stadium and all that stuff. So having played all these different size rooms, from the largest to the smallest sort of bar, anything that's that big, like 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people, right. it's so big that it's small. It's actually not intimidating. It's just a sea of color out there. And your focus is on the stage, really. It's too big to focus on any one individual. If you're, you're viewed from the stage on a, on a stage set in a stadium, it's really, you know, and there's a whole barrier. There's a security barrier between the stage and the people, you know. So it's just, it's so big that it's small. It doesn't intimidate you. And your focus wow. is on the stage and with your colleagues and your bandmates and your friends. And at that point, you have every confidence of what you're doing. You know, at that point, you're not making it, or you're making it up if you're improvising. But I mean, you know, you're all well familiar with each other and, and how you so you have you have confidence and you just you enjoy it it's exciting but i'm saying that you know it's equal in a small club there's something super special about playing in a small place and having a great interaction again with your your bandmates whoever you're playing with and the audience in, in the uh, in the room it's you know it's as wow a moment as energy as like wow there's you know 15,000 20,000 people out there so that's what i mean by it's it's all special in its own Way. You said something very interesting about looking out and seeing just color in a big crowd because I know as somebody who speaks in front of audiences, when I first started learning how to speak in front of audiences and gaining confidence, one of the things they told us was, look out there and pretend everybody's naked. It'll help relax you. <laughs> and it's one of the ways to loosen you up when you're speaking. So I find it very interesting that you look at the big crowds as just <laughs> color like that. And it relaxes you in that way where, versus the way that I was taught as far as to relax and speaking in front of large groups. Yeah. Well, there's two points to that. One is I'm actually nearsighted. My my vision without my glasses, the world looks like a Monet painting. <laughs> all very soft, it's all theirs, but it's diffuse, you know, and uh, which is good. But my vision for near things, like for reading, is excellent without glasses. 
right? And I love to read and all. So that's fine. But if I don't have my glasses on, it's all kind of very, again, like uh, like Monet. It's lovely. Cool. But when I play music, I either wear contact lenses. And again, my focus is like on the stage and where I'm at. So it's different in a club because you can actually visually make eye contact with another human being. Mm-hmm. They might be standing right it's, there by your side. Exactly, it's really exactly. small. Yeah, the intimacy is totally I, different. I, I tell you, we Francis and I did a bunch of shows at Ten Angel. He used to have a residency there. Uh, I loved playing there. The atmosphere, the energy in that room, and the people were all huge friends of, of, of Francis and and uh, and some of mine. And we just had an amazing um, rapport as a duo. And the energy in that room when we played played those songs, it was it was super special. I mean. You walk out of there feeling very, very, you know, satisfied and uh, you can feel all the love and, and appreciation in the room. And, mm. But it's all good. Big, small, in between, you know, in your house, in your backyard. <laughs> yep. Well, you've traveled all over and played all over. I guess I want to know, we were talking earlier about the main point when we first started talking. How do you get around to the point where you're part of Western Stars, the most uh, amazing album film project that I've seen in the last couple of years working with Bruce? Mm. It was a phone call. I was at home and he called me on the phone and said, uh, what are you doing? Are you home for a while? I'm doing this project and it's not a... It's not an E Street Band project, and um, can you want to come down for a couple of days and do a few songs? And I did. I was living in, uh, I was still living in Woodstock back then, and uh, we used to live about by car, maybe like an hour and a half away from each other. And right, upstate New York, and he's kind of in northern New Jersey, I think, around Colts Neck or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. Yep, in the farmland. So that's what I did. I got in the car and, and, and I drove down and I stayed there for about, I think it was there for two days, maybe three days. That's cool. And uh, yeah, and we recorded and it was great. Kind of completing a circle there, you know, from your early days with the E Street Band where you are uh, ensconced in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of that world famous unit. Marcus is going to say, oh boy, here goes the because <laughs> He knows that round for round, pound for pound, nobody in the known universe and beyond can top. The amazing East Street Band. Uh, you're a fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're a fan. David, I got I got goosebumps having you on the podcast here as a this Philly kid who grew up as you guys were making it happen. It's just great to have you on. But uh, thank you, man. That's a, it's my pleasure to be on. I don't think that that circle, you know, that project, Western Stars, is most likely not the end of what Bruce and I will do together or what he will invite me into or what I will invite him into. Wait a minute. That that's was just me having a fangasm, dude. Hold on a second. Here is- yeah, no. That's not a complete circle until we're both dead, until one of us or both of us don't, aren't around anymore. That's true. Then that, I suppose you could say that some sort of circle had been completed. But... Um, yeah, I feel like that. I don't. I think you're you're out of the E Street band when you actually pass away. Other than that, you're always sort of a part of it in some way. He's he's continued to call me. I mean, got way before Western Stars. I mean, mm-hmm. years ago when he did um, Human Touch and Lucky Town, I was on those records. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone asked, I did a, an interview the other day. He said I was actually in Los Angeles doing a session for someone else. And his management or someone, the producer, tracked me down or heard I was in town. 
and they called me at the hotel and said, how long are you in town for? Can you, you know, we're doing this album. Can you come by? And you know, I think I'm on both of those. I'm one of Human Touch, Lucky Town. I think I'm on wow. Yeah, and Western Stars. Again, that's, I, I am, I'm always available for that. You know, we've spoken about, uh, actually, when I was there, I had a, a concept for a piece of music that really would just involve Bruce and myself. It's sort of acoustically based, acoustic piano, and I may do a, a string arrangement for the acoustic piano, and Bruce playing acoustic guitar, but the way, you know how he plays guitar with like effects when he does his solo shows, you know? Right. It's got a whole sound effects thing. He's playing acoustic instrument, but he's got all kinds of like time delays and different, you know. Yeah, it actually has different setups for some of the different songs because of the feels they need. Something like Tom Jode's different. But, than but I, I love that sound. I love what he, what he does in that way. Mm-hmm. So it would be like acoustic guitar with effects, acoustic piano, and maybe I may at the end of it, how it comes out, I may do a string arrangement for it. Something similar to like we did for a New York City serenade, something like that. But that's a concept for the future. But I, I spoke with him about it. He, he said, absolutely, just let me know, you know. So he's up for doing stuff. I'm always up for doing anything uh, that he's involved in. It just, just takes a phone call. So. You're giving me a fan and listeners of the podcast insights on how these things come around or come together and how you guys interact. So you guys have stayed in touch pretty much on and off pretty much through the years. And uh, how about with some of the other guys from from the band? You still in touch with them? Well, we live all sort of scattered. Uh, I'm sort right. of probably more in touch with uh, with Gary. I just had a great conversation with Gary Talent um, maybe about a month ago now. Um, he's planning a project um, for the um, his uh, foundation, Bruce's um, archives situation. And uh, he asked me if I'm available to come. I think it's going to be sometime in the fall uh, to do that. But... Um, and again, I haven't physically been part of the traveling band for a long time, but we don't sort of stay in touch so much by phone, email, and a constant thing. But the thing about that band, and especially the relationship between myself and Gary and Bruce uh, and, and, and Vinny, if he's around, it's just sort of instantaneous. It's not something you have to work out to reconstruct, you know, because mm-hmm. we spent so much time together in our formative years, and it was so you know, dynamic and what what happened for all of us, you know, um, not just Bruce, but for all of us. I always feel connected to them, whether I'm physically with them or not, and whether no matter how much clock time might go in between the communication, it's just, you know, it's like that. Wow. David Sanchez, our guest here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Um, I want to talk about your latest album and some of the other things that you've done. But we're going to take a pause for the cause that refreshes and head to Crooked Eye and Hepburn, where, you know, they've got the cure for what ails you since 2014. David, if you like fresh beer, freshly made, whatever it is that you'd want in a brew, they make it at Crooked Eye. (laughs) Great. That's great. Hey, Ray, it's been a really fun summer, and included in that summer fun is all the happenings at Crooked Eye Brewery over in the heart of Hatboro. So much going on, including the opening of the Crooked Eye Kitchen and the arrival of Salty Vets Barbecue. Madness team started small, but demand immediately outgrew what they'd done, so they've been making more to keep people fed over there. I got to tell you, man, so much has changed in the way things are going, too, like Rich and John are doing a duet now, and they're appearing regularly. 
in addition to all the the regulars like the Crooked Eye Band. And with the fall coming on, you're going to see some really nice fall varieties of beers in the And cider, room. too, yeah. probably. Don't forget, it's all there. Craft cocktails, too, at Crooked Eye at the main location right there off York Road in Hapro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014 and now pouring craft cocktails and serving up that salty vet fall off the bone barbecue. Keep up with what's going on at the Crooked Eye Brewery by following them on Facebook. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. We are back after that very tasty break with our friends at Crooked Eye. We are talking to David Sanchez. He's got a new album out called Eyes Wide Open, which was released in March of 2020. We've had a chance to listen to it. It's a wonderful album. There's beautiful music abounding throughout the album. The last album you released was an album in 2007. Why did you wait 13 years between releasing albums and how did Eyes Wide Open come to be? Okay, well, first of all, tell me the title of that 2007 album. What is the title of that? The 2007 album is called Live in the Now. Cinema in 2005 was the last recorded album you did. There you go, 2005 Cinema and Live in the Now 2007? Yes. All right. Okay. I asked you because I don't actually remember the <laughs> myself. That's why I asked you. I wanted to sure I okay. Who came first? Because cinema and then live in the now. Uh, why did I wait that long? It's just, it's not that it, w- it wasn't a conscious hard decision to wait that long. That's mm-hmm. just the way my life unfolded. Is the honest, the real easy answer. My, my work life and everything else just became so, it just took precedence over making records for a while. But all in that 12-year period of not putting out uh, an actual record, I continued to record the whole time. I had a studio. My studio space in our previous house in Woodstock was very large. It was the size of a professional, like a, a, a small A room or a, a, a B room in a, in a studio. Oh, it was, was fantastic. It was the whole bottom level of a three-story structure in the, in the country in Woodstock. So, and I had it really done like totally professionally a a professional console we had a drum kit a state set up a whole guitar station a seven foot grand piano a keyboard station it was really fantastic 
Cool. So what I, what I did was on my own, when I came home in projects like, you know, say, oh God, I don't know, let's go back to even as studio days, to be honest, let's go back to the 90s, early 90s, okay. 91, uh, when I started touring with Sting. Okay, that was a long project, but we used to work in blocks of about six or eight weeks, like uh, two weeks home, and then he'd put you on a plane and send you back out. So all in that period, what I was doing was putting the studio together, you know, actually ordering gear and getting people in and, and, and do it together. And Vinny Colaiuta, bless his heart, I, I used to love watching him at sound checks tune his drum kit because Vinny's mm -hmm. ear is so deep. He would he tunes to different chords and he is very specific. And I would be like doing something on a piano and he, he would identify the chord I was playing without being anywhere near an instrument with pitch. He could just tell, yeah, that's a C, that's a dominant seven, you know, that's a B flat on top of that. And he said, hit a B flat for me. And he would like, you know, tweak it like that, you know. So his drum kit then, he was playing Yamaha back then. I'm not sure what he's playing now. But he had this amazing Yamaha drum kit. And I said, look, I'm putting a studio together in my house. I got a great space and I want to have a drum kit. Like, what do you recommend? And he said, I like this kit so much. I, and he said, look, I'll get you a copy of my kit. So wow. he got it. That's he was, so cool. That's true. And he was using back then, a, uh, it wasn't a double bass drum kit. It was a double bass drum pedal. It was one bass drum with, with a double pedal. And he had this array of tom poms and he had two hi-hats. That's what, he had two hi-hats a double bass drum pedal, it was to die for. So he said, oh, if you like the way this kit sound, I'll, I'll get you one. He actually got me one from Yamaha, had it delivered to my house and had his technician come to my studio and set it up exactly <laughs> like, like wow. he was kidding you. Make sure it's good for you. Yeah, exactly, man. That's exactly. awesome. So then he would come come to the house and play with us. I want it like that. So you, whenever we get together, just walk in the door, man, and you don't even have to bring your your pedals or nothing. So that's what it was for a while. Wow. And actually, um, not to go on too long about those early days, but last song in the album, War in Heaven, was actually the very first song recorded in my studio. Now the basic tracks for that was recorded somewhere, I'm gonna say, it was either summer of 91 or maybe spring of 92. Oh, wow. One of those, yeah. And it was just me and Vinny. And Vinny used to live in Connecticut those days, going on his way to Philadelphia to visit his mom. And where I was in Woodstock, where he was in Connecticut, was really close by a car. So he said, oh, you know, I said, what are you doing? I'll come by the house on my way. I'll stop at your house. He came by, stayed at the house for three days, and we recorded like crazy. One of those results is, is that song. Now, again, all the, and that whole period of not doing anything, that was in a great state. I knew it was always going to come out some way, and, and I left it alone. But in 2016, when Trump won the election, that was the beginning of me saying, look, I really want to... Uh, um, compile all this music and put something out. I want to say something about the state of our, um, of our society. And, and on your vocal numbers on this album, you have a lot of things to say. And that's something yeah. that people aren't maybe used to actually hearing your physical voice. May they hear your voice, they hear your musical and feel your musical voice. Yeah. But there's definitely some point to the uh, to the eyes wide open. It's a good indicator of what uh, what you're talking about here, David. Not okay. Do not believe what some people say. Up is down, the sky is 
Uh, you mentioned Vinny, and we have encountered him early in our podcast. Uh, yeah. We encountered information while we were doing research about his unbelievable career. Uh, not just how much, but all the different people, all the different styles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we saw that he was one of the drummers that you used on this album. And here we are talking about him like like we all know him, but <laughs> you do. Tell us a little something about him that we don't know. Oh my God, Vinny Kaliuta is a sweetheart. He's a he, we are like brothers from another mother. And as soon as we started working together, I'd only met him once before working together with Sting. But as soon as we started working together, we just hit it off instantly. Just, gosh, there's there's no accolade you could put on him that hasn't already been said. He's just he's awesome as a musician, but he's a wonderful human being. He's a very deep soul. He's a deep thinker and he feels things very deeply, very, very deeply. I've had some of the best conversations with Vinny Kaliuta on an airplane going from, you know, whatever, New York to London or London to Tokyo, whatever, flying all over the place. But we have had some of the most soulful, sincere conversations uh, in my life. And he's, he's just a guy. If you've checked out his podcast. Uh, no, we got to check it out. Give it a plug for us. Breakfast with Vin. Breakfast with Vinny, something like that. And thanks for clearing up how you pronounce his last name, because we struggled with it at first. <laughs> yeah, that's what I could tell you. He's, a, apart from being a fantastic musician with a, a legendary um, career, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a lovely human being. He's fantastic. You also play with somebody that we both love very much on this album that is not Vinny, and that is Will Calhoun of Living Color, who plays on In the Middle of the Night. I think he is also not only a magnificent drummer, maybe one of the best on the planet today. He has transcended drumming. He has taken his percussion to a whole new level, but like Vinny, the depth of his person is unbelievable. He is an incredible person up and down. He really is. I just spoke to him yesterday, actually. He called me. You don't know if you guys know it, but we have a duo called uh, Open Secret. I've heard of no, it. No, I didn't. Okay. All right. There you go. It's, there's some stuff on the internet. In 2019, we did a, we did a tour of the Northeast, and we, we put this thing together. It's called Open Secret. I'm sure if you go on the internet, there's clips of us playing at the Iridium in New York and uh, and some other places. We played in Asbury Park, but it's a it's a keyboard and percussion duo. And we've already got uh, an album, uh, the better part of a live album together from that tour. And hopefully that's going to come out sometime this summer. But I totally agree with you about Will, about his personality and about his musical skills. And the, the track that he plays on, on Eyes Wide Open is called uh, uh, In the Middle of the Night. Oh, woe is we, such a strange society. I bow my head and bend my knee. In the middle of the night, I don't sleep so well. Refugees and immigrants, politicians and presidents. Make no sense in the middle of the night. We 
Right? Mm-hmm. If you listen to his his drumming, I, I we just spoke yesterday. It's so funny. I said, Will, and he, he he had just seen the video for it. And again, I don't know if you guys know it, but there's a video uh, that that I did for um, the vocal songs for Eyes Wide Open, uh, In the Middle of the Night, and Urban Song Number Three. And if you go to, uh, there's a YouTube channel that they started for me. Mm-hmm. And they're there, and they can also see them on my uh, my site, uh, davidsanchez.com. The basic thing about a man is not his specificity, but his fundamental. Not the texture of his hair or the color of his skin, but his eternal dignity at work. May I walk the streets alone, free from suspicion. If you change your mind, maybe in my lifetime. But, it's um, good that you let people know these things so yeah. they can go find them when they're done listening today. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So Will plays on this song uh, in the middle of the night. And what he did was when we recorded the song, I, I wrote it and he, he overdubbed on it. But because I wrote it just on my own, I did the keyboards and I wrote to a drum loop. But I said, well, I didn't really want uh, loops on this. I want some real, you know, stuff. But he heard the loop and how it was working with the song. And it was kind of a it's a hip hop loop, but it's very empty. It's not a lot going on, you know, it's rhythmic. And he said, man, I'm digging that. Why don't I just play over top of that? So what he did was leaving space for whatever good the loop was doing in the song. He played bass drum, hi-hat, and cymbals. There were like three cymbals and occasional tom hits. Making laws make no sense. But what he did on the cymbals was he he went to town. It was like he played this Malian kind of like groove. You know, he he spent a lot of time in Africa and studied in Mali and with these master musicians. This groove that he did, what he's doing with the cymbals over top of that, it's like I never heard anything quite like that before. It was just amazing. I, I told him that it's it cool like, to still be amazed by new things, new sounds, oh, yeah. feels, even even now. I mean, as accomplished as you are and have been throughout your career, all the things you've heard and seen, God, well, that's cool. but that's why I said I said so on the on the liner notes of the record. I had a lot of fun making this record, and I I did things I hadn't done before. You know, I don't think you can find anything anywhere with that particular groove because of the way Will did it so original and so um, I mean check it out it's like the symbols are just like on fire but it's like riding above all this other very solid kind of uh, ethereal vibe you know so yeah as far as Will Calhoun I, I can only completely agree with you uh, in every uh, uh, in every way he's brilliant we're also going to uh, try and do some dates in the fall um, on the east coast um Again, and we'll try and get into Philly, uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania, Philly. But uh, we're working on that at the moment. But. You played on one of my favorite albums from the 70s, School Days, from Stanley Clark. Right. Uh, Ken Scott talked a lot about that in his book. What was that whole experience like? 
That was fun. I should read Tim's book. I think I have it and I never quite got through it, but uh, it was great working with him. He was a legendary uh, engineer slash producer at the time. He did some amazing records. It was exciting because we're working with, uh, and I don't know how old I was then. I was 20-something. I had to be 20-something. <laughs> it had to be in the first couple of years after, it was right after Forest of Feelings, maybe, right before, right as you were yeah, getting exactly. out on your own. Yeah, it was, exactly. So that was... Um, A wee lad. <laughs> A wee lad, yeah. And uh, it was exciting because uh, I was way into... Um, you know, Return to Forever and Chick Corea and the whole thing, that whole Mahavishnu, the whole thing in music. And the thing about Forest of Feelings was that was really the start of me getting um, a lot of attention from other artists. And suddenly it went from, you know, here's me with the band making, making records. You know, I had an actual contract to make a certain amount of records over a certain amount of time. And I'm getting the phone calls. That's when, you know, Peter Gabriel called. That's how that connection started. Wow. He heard Forest of Feelings and he sent a telegram to the record company. What the? Saying, yeah, that's true. Saying that he was going to, he was going to leave Genesis and he's going on to do the solo recording. And would I be interested in being part of the recording? He was really impressed with, with the record, right? That was the beginning of that connection. Stanley Clark. I was at home on, I was visiting my mom mm -hmm. on East Street and I was in the basement with some friends and we were just messing around. I think we had like a drum kit and some keyboards and guitars down there. Very casual messing around. And my mom knocks on the basement door. She goes, David, uh, there's a phone call for you. Stanley Clark is on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, really. You don't hear that every day. Yeah. But the, uh, and then, you know, that and gosh, Lenny White. And the Stanley connection came through Lenny White, actually, because Lenny White called me to do his solo album, Venusian Summer. And I think Stanley heard that. I have to go find it now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. wow. Now, when I'm you, just enjoying the yeah. hell out of this, David. Yeah, Thank you for like, letting me geek out a little yeah. bit as an oh, no, East Street kid, right. you know? That's all right. When you played with Peter Gabriel, did you ever do any live dates with Manu Kache on drums? They were all live. All was was he one of the drummer? Was he one of the drummers you played with? Was I guess my question. Actually, with the exception of this last reunion tour we did, that Manu didn't do. Uh, yeah, all the stuff when I got in the band uh, was Manu. Because what happened was, I think it was '86. The record had come out, and then I got a phone call from his management saying that Peter was going to change the band, the live touring band, and he asked me if I if I wanted to do that. And Manu had also done the album. Yeah. Larry Fast, the original keyboard player, did uh, keyboards on the album. I think it's Larry and also Peter play some keyboards. But then I did all I did all the live stuff from the the original So Tour in '86, and uh, that's when I met Manu, and he did all of that. He did '86, '87 So Tour, and actually everything uh, all the touring with Peter that I did uh, was with Manu. Um, we did an episode about that album, the production at the house, and, and okay. Peter and Daniel and all the different people traipsing through the studio and the whole year of basically being mm -hmm. locked down with it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to get some other insights into that whole thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, yeah I, I remember seeing and watching the documentary or the making of the album of So, and there's just, again, like Will Calhoun, there's something about Manu Kache's energy that is really special. And there's just okay. something about him that just he stands out in a really special way. 
he's awesome. He's a fantastic musician, and he has this kind of this innate kind of confidence in his own playing that is really special. It just means like it's like whatever he's playing is is it. You know, he he just exudes that thing that what he's playing is the right thing to play. You know, yeah. a lot of times musicians don't have all that much confidence. You're sort of, and you can tell they're sort of trying to feel it out.、Mm -hmm. You know, is this okay with everybody? Is cool? You know, but he doesn't really do that.、Yeah. He just, you know, approaches it with a, a very,、um, again, great musicianship and 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 spontaneity and. Yeah, I mean, I've been really blessed. I mean, there's nothing negative that I could say about any of the people that you're gonna, you we might be talking about in terms of, you know, colleagues or bandmates. Because I've been blessed to just work with some amazing、uh, musicians. Well, I can tell, man, and part of it's you. You are one. I can just from talking to you at this list a little bit. You're one of the most chill people I've ever met, really. And by the way.、Um, Not to embarrass you, but you are extremely handsome. I just want to say you, the Dorian Gray reference in Eyes Wide doesn't isn't lost on me、uh, because I'm I, I, at one point I went, yeah, I wonder if he's got a painting in the attic because he looks so, so he looked younger than. Now, what, are you, what are you talking about? Stuff on the internet? What are they saying about me on the internet?、No. I must have a Dorian Gray thing. My, my no one said that. I was my thought. That was my thought. Was man, he looks because you, you're very youthful, and I, I guess being in the kind of atmosphere that you've been sharing will make you feel, keep you young, however you want to put it. Yeah, that's a part of it. I have the good fortune to live with a, a, a wonderful woman, my partner for 24 years, and sweet. She's a big part of, of why I'm、um, and in good health, relatively good health at、uh, 67. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a lot of years. It, it's the culmination of a lot of years. I sort of got on a good track relatively early on in my life. By the time I was in my, you know, well. I mean, I started doing yoga in my in my twenties and tried for years and years to to learn tennis until I actually finally did. Does <laughs>、um, any of them really、uh, learn tennis or golf? I mean, you play it, but you know, people do. <laughs> What they don't tell you when you're younger, when you're in school, they don't tell you that you're going to have all sorts of issues at a certain point just because you've arrived at a certain point. You know. Yep. It's not yep. everybody's,、uh, you know, right. Not everybody gets there, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, David, we just want to thank you for taking so much time for us today to just talk about your album and just、uh, give us so many wonderful insights into your path and sharing it all with us here on this podcast that we do. It's, it's a lot of fun, and we really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. And please let us know if you come to Philadelphia in the fall, because we would love to jump out and see you live. Because again,、yes. we're so ready to go see live music again. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I will. You'll be the first. You'll be amongst the first to know it.、Yes. I'll look for open secret where、uh, you know on the local touring circuit information, because that's what's starting to happen now. Everybody's starting to have.、No. Concerts being announced, and there's a big list of shows in the studio at the at WMMR where we both work.、Right. Uh, there's shows actually being announced and rescheduled, and all kinds of stuff. So we'll see you when we see you here. That's、yeah. a pleasure, guys. Thank Thanks、you. so much. You bet. Have、right. a great one. Enjoy the surf in Hawaii, man. Much、right. love. Much love to you too. Take care. Bye. -bye.
what an interesting life he's led. And isn't it kind of cool to take some time and talk to somebody like David Sanchez and find out stuff we never knew and learn more about the stuff we did know? Like every single one of our episodes, Ray, this has been a learning <laughs> experience. And we continue to learn more and more about rock and roll. It's And we learn the proper pronunciation for Vinny Kaliuta's name, finally, right? Who else is going to know but somebody who spends a ton of time with him. So. One of his favorite human beings. So thanks again to David Sanchez for being on the podcast and to our friend Scott Bluebond for hooking us up with David all the way out there in Hawaii. But it's time to go here. Time to leave the Dark Doc Studios and go out into the world, steamy and mean as it is these days. <laughs> <laughs> so until the next time we get together and do this crazy podcast, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll.